Welcome, friends and fiends. This is your host, film critic and comedian, Nate Wyckoff. And I'm here to tell you about an exciting giveaway that Warner Brothers Discovery and Colton Classic Films LLC has put together to build your 4K Ultra HD film collection on digital. We are giving away four codes which contain digital 4K Ultra HD versions of Rebel Without a Cause, Maltese Falcon, and Cool Hand Luke. These are films that you absolutely must know as a film buff. You can get this code by being one of the lucky four people we pull from our newsletter list. So go to coltonclassicfilms.com slash newsletter and give us your email and your name and we'll sign you up for the newsletter and we will enter you in the competition. That's all you got to do. So please go ahead and do that. The contest ends on April 30th and we will send out the winning codes on May 1st. Thank you so much for being a listener. And here's your episode of Colton Classic Films Podcast. Welcome to Colton Classic. <laughs> Welcome, friends and fiends, to another episode of Colton Classic Podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about two thematically linked films, one mainstream and one cult, um, except during this holiday season where we run our special holiday film series, uh, talking about movies for the holiday season that you probably haven't heard of or are just not commonly known. This is our final part five of five of our holiday film feast lineup. And there's a reason I saved this one for last. Um, we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. I'm your host, Nate Wyckoff, film critic and comedian. And with me as often is Tad Mastroianni. How are you doing, Tad? Tad is uh, staring at me, but there's no audio. I had a Zoom box pop up right in front of me and I couldn't get rid of it. Anyway, um, I'm great. It's it's Christmas time. Yay. It is. It is Christmas time for all of our listeners who celebrate Christmas uh, agnostically or religiously. Uh, Merry Christmas. And to everyone else, Happy Hanukkah, Merry Kwanzaa, Merry Festivus, uh, all, all the jazz um do you as uh as you feel right to do and we also have with us jeff tucker how are you doing jeff pretty good resident nut also a cracker <laughs> is that is that is true it's true on all counts i actually have to say we're all uh, pretty much on the pale side uh of of the melatonin uh it's december give me some credit here we're also white tad is, is what i'm getting sure. at we're all white. Um, we, you so, could tan. You could. You're in California. You could go out and tan, Nate. <laughs> yes, that is true. That's not quite <laughs> not quite the point I'm going for. But um, but uh, hey, our our listeners of color who may have a different perspective, feel free to recommend films. Come on the podcast. Happy to have guests uh, and anything. And I, I say that because on the East Coast we don't have a huge variety among our uh panelists and that is something we i certainly want to change and bring everyone into the conversation that was a side note we also have with us mandy longley how are you doing mandy i thought i was doing well but uh right before we sat down to record i pulled my tarot card and it gave me i don't know that the five of swords which is uh distrust conflict, conflict and accusations so i'm feeling less prepared than that's originally right. that's right for, this film yeah. is all your fault mandy um <laughs> <laughs> yeah no so i bring I, it i guess i guess i'm now i'm prepared for you guys to bring it true true we're gonna we're gonna we're really gonna knuckle down and and get bloody on this one now i'm not sure we will uh but let's just get right into the movie uh, this is the film that i saved uh for after christmas because it is 
not directly Christmas themed. Now, people are going to fight me on this. It's based on the Nutcracker um, uh, mythos, Morris from the musical, originally from the E.T. Hoffman story. And that Nutcracker, to those of us familiar with it, which is, I think, a lot, most people in uh, in New England, excuse me, in the American. <laughs> Here's the thing, guys. Tad just disappeared from the call and it completely threw me off. So uh, I apologize. <laughs> most people in the States, at least, uh, and I imagine Europe as well, are familiar with some form of the Nutcracker story. It is guaranteed to have uh, three things. A Nutcracker, which if you're not familiar, it is a wooden doll with a handle on the back, that a lever that opens his mouth. And then when you crunch the lever down, it cracks open a nut. For some reason, they have become a decoration around the holiday season, I guess, because people eat roasted nuts or something. I don't know. The, the, the actual connection with the holiday is very flimsy. And that's why I put this after Christmas, because this movie officially mentions zero Christmas. Um, it is a wintertime tale. Uh, but as I said, Nutcrackers, uh, uh, young girl dealing with like a, not a clone, like a mirror self right? There's like two versions of her kind of. And then it also will always have scary as hell rats or mice seeking to destroy toys and all goodness in the world. That That's pretty much what you can expect out of any Nutcracker film. And this one is the same. Uh, this is actually though, while it's called Nutcracker Fantasy, it's from 1979. The interesting thing about this is it is stop motion animated and it is Japanese. In fact, it is produced by Sanrio, the company famous for Hello Kitty. Uh, so it's kind of a strange departure. Um, it's the only directorial feature, uh, at least that made it stateside from uh, Takeo Nakamura, uh, who worked on a lot of animated features, um, especially stop motion features, actually worked on uh, Rankin and Bass's Santa Claus is Coming to Town in the animation department. So there's, there's pedigree behind it. So when you look at this film, it looks like a Rankin and Bass, Santa Claus is Coming to Town, um, The Life and Adventures of Santa Claus, which we reviewed last year. And, uh, you know, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, all of those classic uh, American stateside films, those look like this movie and vice versa. There's maybe a little bit of design change here and there, but I think the biggest difference comes in the actual directing, which we'll get into. Now, I'm going to quickly run through the plot. The plot in this case, and there's minor changes in various Nutcracker films uh, and musical versions, but this one has Clara, a young girl. We're not sure how young. She looks very young in doll form, but uh, she's marrying a 20-year-old, it looks like. So maybe not so young, I'm hoping. Um, and she uh, is staying with her aunt and uncle, who really seem like her grandparents. And her uncle is voiced in the American edition by Christopher Lee, uh, which is kind of great, famed Dracula and Count Dooku, uh, hammer legend. And uh, he's a famous clockmaker in the town. He services everyone's clocks, and he also makes toys on the side. And he has made what appears to be a tiny, sort of goofy-looking nutcracker, which Clara falls in love with. And it's like, let me have him, let me have him. And he hymns and haws, and eventually the aunt's like, oh, for God's sakes, let her hold the doll, we'll go to bed. So in the middle of the night, 
mice are dragging off this nutcracker. Clara goes after them. The nutcracker comes to life to protect her. And when she wakes up back in bed, she has a fever, she's sick, and the nutcracker is gone. Uh, she goes into like a drug-induced state and uh, then runs to see downstairs to see if the scuffle from the night before actually left any evidence. It did. And then she sees her uncle walk into the mysterious grandfather clock they have. She follows him in and then it's sort of a Coraline, Narnia, you know, through the looking glass deal where all of a sudden she's in Toyland. And Toyland has a problem where um, the princess of Toyland who looks identical to her has been turned by magic spell into an ugly mouse. Now, there are no ugly mice in this movie. The mice are super cute, if I may say so myself, but they're referred to as ugly and disgusting. So I think we have uh, uh, an uncomfortable race uh, situation here and I'm not sure what side to be on. Uh, then Clara is like, okay, well, I will help this princess who looks like me and I also want to find my nutcracker guy. And so she goes to meets various people, including the time witch or something like that, lady of time, queen of time. I don't know. Uh, it's, it's a woman with a crystal ball who tells her that, hey, you can break the spell by shattering this. It looks like a walnut shell with jewels and blood on it. It's really weird imagery. Um, that is what the spell it can only be broken with this pearl sword. So take the pearl sword uh, and that will free the princess if you break it. Um, she's like, okay, that makes sense, I guess. Goes back to the, the king of Toyland and goes to his first general, the very handsome and dashing and super like, mm, he, he's, he's like very- guy from Roroni. Uh, no, Yu Yu Hakusho. Kind of, he looks kind of- yeah. character. He looks kind of, yeah, he, he also looks, he's very designed. He's the only one that actually, aside from the, the queen of time, the time witch, whatever, she's the only one, he's the only one that looks sort of anime, I would say, in the traditional sense. He looks like uh, Princess Esmeralda vibe, right? Anyway, she, or he's like very dashing. He's like, we will do this. And so they go to battle with the mice who are led by uh, the two-headed queen mouse, um, who voiced by comedy legend Joanne Worley. And uh, she has this creepy son who wants to marry the princess. It's weird. It's like a total Trojan horse situation, not because they sneak into the battle, but because it's a surprise battle and all the mice are hammered, including the queen. Uh, they've just been drinking this whole time. And uh, every, everyone is saved, except for we get this sort of gruesome death where the, the handsome commander like severs the two halves of the queen mouse uh, as he breaks the, the evil magic nut. And she curses him with her dying breath and he turns into that little nutcracker that Clara was in love with. Well, Clara goes back to Toy Kingdom. They're all super happy because uh, the princess has woken up and she's um, beautiful again. And uh, the king is like, hey, well, I promised you to marry the handsome commander. And she's like, awesome, bring him on. Well, he's turned into the little nutcracker, to which point she's like, I don't want this guy. I'm not marrying him. He's a piece of wood. He's so stupid. This is dumb. I hate everyone. Let's go party. And you find out she's kind of a bitch. Well, uh, Clara is super hurt. And she's like, I don't think you're stupid. And she takes him and she goes to the time witch and says, how do I fix this? So he's not a piece of wood nutcracker. And she's like, you got to go find the timekeeper or time Lord. It's another time guy, but he's got one eye, a uh, sort of a Kronos figure. 
and she finds him and he's like hey you got to do what he did for you you like protected or the princess or whatever you've got to do some grand gesture just kind of vague well the surviving mouse prince who wanted to marry the princess catches up with her and he's all spooky and he pulls a knife and he's going to kill the little wooden uh immovable nutcracker which is also questionable because can you actually kill it i'm not sure uh and she dives in front of it and she gets stabbed and that's the grand moment where she and this handsome commander return to his natural form have a happy land they go to a happy land it's really really at this point it's kind of gone off the rails a little bit it's they this go to is a exactly happy... the point where i completely lost interest yeah so they, oh, they end i up am having... also following along with our listeners on the plot yeah so so and we'll get to why it might be a little hazy um they they have like a happy land where there's dancing sugar plum creatures and maybe gingerbread or marshmallows i don't know they're sort of amorphous little they look like a 3d stop motion rendition of the candy kingdom from uh adventure time and uh anyway and then she wakes up and of course her fever has broken she feels better and the person that she really wanted to see at the beginning of the movie her old friend uh comes in and of course he looks like the commander that she's fallen in love with and they have this tender touching moment with her weird uncle looming in the background um nothing in the movie in my opinion is scarier than the uncle we'll talk about that but anyway and that's the end of the story so basically you're kind of led to believe that it's like all a fever dream um and you don't know what's real what's not real but the reality is is she's in love with this guy from her childhood uh who looks like the commander and she of course looked like the princess so anyway that was supposed to be a very concise like rundown of the plot but because the plot is kind of bonkers in any nutcracker fan story i i felt like i couldn't cut out much more and and uh, while keeping how odd this movie is. Now, I'm going to just, before I pass it on, I just want to say, while it looks and, and is physically done in the style of like a Rankin and Bass Western stop motion animation, there were moments where the fact that it's a Japanese film shined through. And I think a lot of the like mysticism and like the sort of going off into like a magical, like, musical element where there's lots of psychedelic visuals it's it's very 70s but it's it's really not something that an american picture would probably have done and so it leaves a little different taste in the mouth uh, but let's go right to you guys so mandy what were you expecting when you saw that i had signed this film and what was your takeaway now that you watched nutcracker fantasy so i was expecting that maybe i had seen this as a kid and like not really remember it. And uh, after having watched it, um, still not sure. <laughs> some of it seemed familiar, but I think it looked similar to some other stuff that was uh, from around the same time. Uh, as far as expectations, like, I, I don't know. It was just weird. <laughs> and that's saying a lot for this podcast. I was vaguely entertaining. I had... I kept expecting the Ragman to come back somewhere and have some key <laughs> something with the plot later on that didn't happen. Well, that and, was a mistake. The Ragman, know, of like, course, being the entire intro of the film is her no. telling of the the Ragman, who is essentially like he's essentially like a a, a, a night stalker monster that turns children yeah. into mice and throws them in a sack if they don't go to bed on time. 
and he never right. he never makes another appearance. From right. the age it's... when like people would tell their children horrible stories and traumatize them, yeah. Just yeah. So yeah. They would not have to do I thought this was gonna be some kind of reverse Santa Claus sort of deal, and it's like, uh, where? The, yeah, the, big, I, big Krampus vibes from the yeah, Man, and yeah. and I figured it was gonna tie into the whole like mice army and rat queen and whatever, and it's like, no, and then it oh. didn't. Because, like, doesn't he turn them into mice? Yeah, like, I feel like yeah. there was potentially a thread there, and it was just not... Um, they just and did full it. Full disclosure, I'm yeah. a big E.T.A. Hoffman fan, um, but I actually never read his original Nutcracker story, so I don't know if that's maybe a holdover element or something, um, because some other things... There's great liberties taken in this, but also some things stick kind of close to the source in ways that other versions don't. Um, I do think it's kind of easy... You, you, I think it's the overall plot's easy to understand, um, but there are times when the film goes off the rails in ways where I'm like, I don't, I don't know what I'm, I, I don't know where this is gonna go. It eventually goes back to where I expected it to, uh, but uh, there's one moment in particular, and we'll get to that. But yeah, I feel you. The Ragman didn't show up again, and that yeah. sort of set me up to, to be waiting then, for something that never came. I mean, so I said just a minute ago that like I kind of completely like stop paying attention at like the sort of happy happy land dream sequence stuff but like i totally became like detached and somewhat disinterested at the, the super duper like racist section <laughs> with all the yeah. wise men i was like what wow like times have changed so like this is uncomfortable like i just this is just also extra super weird uh i don't know if this was supposed to be a joke or if they were like because they're wise men, but they're obviously not acting wise, but they're just really playing to all these stereotypes, which a lot of them still prevail. Because um, it was identifiable, like what, what nationalities they were talking about. But it was also just like, yeah, I don't really understand what they're trying to do with this. Yeah, let's, let's look at that for a minute, because that's both my favorite scene and also the most insane thing I maybe have ever seen put to film. The fact that they actually stop motion animated that madness. So you're talking about um, a, a scene where all of the leaders and like and 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 holy men or not even holy men just the, the people are important to different we assume regions of toyland have come together in this big um this big unish meeting to put forward their plans to help the princess who is currently a mouse right and uh, or a mouse woman and the she's not just a mouse woman she's like in a sleeping beauty torpor like she's just uh comatose in bed with a mouse head um and we start with uh a sort of an indian holy man perhaps or some middle eastern farsi some some figure like that giving um a speech about that actually i was it was because you trying to frame this in the right way very careful when you listen to these things like oh when is the racism going to come in or actually are they going to skirt it and in the beginning actually he's not particularly racist right like everyone has hyper stylized features they're puppets so like you kind of expect that and then he talks about how cows are sacred where he comes from you're like okay that's accurate if, you, if you're if you're hindi okay and then um he has a, a friend who charms a cobra out of out of a basket and i'm like okay well that's we're getting into weird territory but okay and he has this great line though he's like he's like no don't be afraid the cobra doesn't bite usually 
and that's a great line. I'm like, okay, this is could be worse, right? This is 1979, and it's a Japanese film, and they're not always known for their cultural sensitivity. Um, then it becomes more and more insane. We have the French scientist who's a scientist, but talks in this really awful stereotyped, like, you know, I'd say like froggish accent. We have, um, uh, I'm trying to remember, oh, we have the Chinese gentleman or Hong Kong gentleman who is trying to sell his quote unquote cheap toys uh, as the solution. That perhaps is where it went the instant, like, oh, you're like, oh, this is a problem. It's definitely fucking rails. It was great. And then, and it, it, there's so many and they don't, the thing is, is that they don't stop there because the Japanese film, they make multiple fun of the British um they have they the, hit everyone they ha- yeah they hit i like, love the every- russian one the russian one where he literally like they're making fun of communism it's like five-year plan the five-year ten, ten years 15 tops 15 yeah exactly like, these are <laughs> none of these are for the children these jokes right. are all for the for the adults and we have um i liked the the english uh he's, he's a hangman but he's the executioner who's like i think the solution is to chop off heads i <laughs> faint at the sight of blood though um and he's just like this it's just it's just it's wild like the only people that i don't see really being made fun of are the japanese which is sort of where it would have come around to be okay right is if they also included themselves to be ridiculous um there's there's a like a viking a scandinavian like guy like you know he talks kind of like chef from the muppets Um, when i was just like oh so it's not just americans that think the Swedish sound like that. Yeah, it's it's all over the place. Um, I really, so this, and we're talking about this scene and I know that not having seen this, if you're you're listening or watching, I know that you're thinking that we're talking a lot about it because uh, in this current social climate, we're very aware of uh, of problematic racism, uh, any racism can be problematic, but you know, problematic context. It's not just that it's that this scene is not short and not only is it not short, it doesn't have a steady, like flat to it escalates into a complete insane madness. We haven't even touched on the, um, uh, like the Sultan, whose solution is to kiss the princess, at which point he leaps around kissing every woman in the room and several men who like faint. It is like the the puppets are the stop motion. I mean, they literally start leaping across the room, the whole thing. And the king, I love, I don't know who, (laughs) I'm getting fired up. I don't know who the like Mrs. Claus looking person was. She's like a, a, he or she is like an overweight elf who's just like leaning on their arm during the whole procession. I don't know who that character is supposed to be, but her like complete side eye look at the whole proceedings just made me super happy. The King is sad. And this one character, I thought she was going to have like some solution or come into play somehow because she has like no lines and she just literally is just like glaring daggers at the entire assembly. Um, Don't know, don't know what the deal is there. And, uh, and I loved it. Uh, But yeah, it's a weird scene. We'll get to to Tad and Jeff's feelings on the film as a whole, but I also want to say I'm not sure why this was included, but it is a common theme in uh, Christmas and and holiday themed movies to have this sort of assemblage of a multicultural sort of it's a small world after all vibe. I don't know exactly what it is. I think maybe because like, well, children, all people will watch this, so we should share something. Of course, there's the famous 
infamous K. Gordon Murray um, English dub of the the Mexican film A Santa Claus, which both Rift Tracks and Mystery Science Theater have covered, which is one of the greatest cinema uh, events of all time. It is batshit crazy because Mexico did not have Santa Claus in the traditional sense. So they took some stuff from the US vibe of Santa and other things are just, I mean, it's, it's out there. Um, but in that, they, they sort of, the early scene contains Santa's helpers who are children from all sorts of different uh, ethnicities and regions. And they all have their little song and dance. And some of them are incredibly, they make the problematic parts of this one look um like uh, uh you know a TikTok unity fair presentation like it's you know they have um they have a bunch of black children dancing with giant bones and things like real out there so this is kind of common and i can only imagine it's because they anticipate a large child audience that they think they can work in some sort of educational moment of course the irony is is you're really just ostracizing people by saying look how weird these guys are uh it doesn't really work that way. Anywho, now let's jump to Jeff. What were you expecting from Nutcracker Fantasy? And uh, what was your take now that you've seen it? Well, I've never loved the Nutcracker. Like, I mean, I, I remember it as a kid and just not being into it. So I guess I wasn't expecting much, um, just, just as it was kind of delving from the same uh, shallow pool, in my opinion um but like um i i don't know i think there was like some entertaining parts um of this movie there were like just some some moments in there but yeah overall it was uh pretty boring and i don't think it aged well um and i'm not even talking about the you know casual sexual assault or um you know uh, stereotyping of people um <laughs> uh, i mean in fairness like if they if it had just all been you know white people or japanese people we would have been like you know this is it, it's one way uh we would have we would have criticized it i think that uh we, we live in a better time now not just because we've learned more but like you actually get a little bit a better look at other people's cultures so if you're working on something like this you may you may be uh more knowledgeable you may have a better perspective on um how to um, include different cultures into your material um but uh yeah i i just think this this film is 40 years old we have 40 years of better stuff in between um and uh yeah it uh it, it could be it could be lost and uh it wouldn't be lost if you know what i mean sure sure I, Jeff I think... doesn't like this movie I, I yeah well here's the thing you say better i'm like yeah we do have better we also have worse um uh, you know, uh, I, I, how many elf shirts did I see out and about today? Um, I'm just going to throw that out there. Uh, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to leave that there. You know, I mean, I'm just saying like in the time though, like yeah. it may have been an intent to do out of, you know, trying to get like a bunch of different cultures in there oh, sure. and just out of ignorance, they put it together this way. Um, you know, you know, I think that you, you have more access to more information and more, um, um, maybe more easy access to. to sure. And I think, and I think there, as Tad alluded to this, there's actually quite a bit of humor for the adults in that scene. Um, and at the time, especially, and I'm sure in the, in whatever the climate was in Japan at the time, which was 
originally made and written, I'm sure that there was even more uh, reason behind that. And it's sort of like Shakespeare now, like I'm sure that there's, it would have been readily and immediately funny or recognizable what they were spoofing. Um, and I think that there's a place for that. Like you can make fun of people and things. The problem comes in when it's not evenly done, right? Like it's just like any good comedy set, any good roast, you have to, you know, uh, make fun of yourself before everyone else uh, will allow you to make fun of them. Uh, you have to disarm them. And the the clear absence of Japan in any way, shape or form in this sort of makes it harder to take. Um, and yet at the same time, I definitely felt like this could have been aimed at an American audience. We're of course watching the American dub, but it it's very clear that they didn't really change the context, I would think, because of the visuals. But I I agree with you, and we would certainly be more conscious and aware of it and be able to add a sort of different elements. It just it feels like this was not the intent was not to educate with this, although I think that was the 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 reason for it uh initially to be present and it seems more like it was to poke fun at contemporary politics and cultural differences which like i said there's a place for it but you got to do it the best way possible and i i think they missed the mark on getting it across of course in american cinema we've done much much worse as well so where you gonna what are you gonna do as you said jeff it's 40 plus years old um there was a re-release of this film in a 3d format they did a post work you know, post-production work to make it 3D in 2015 called Nutcracker 3D. Uh, I will say the visuals on this, if you like stop-motion animation, Rankin and Bass, there's some really great sets and, and designs and things. Uh, I, of course, am obsessed with puppets, so it was right up my alley. Um, finding a, a great HD copy of this is a little troublesome. Uh, you kind of, I've, and if somebody has a good source, let us know at coltonclassicpodcast.gmail.com. But I believe importing a Japanese uh, Blu-ray or some such would probably be the, the best alternative. Um, I don't know, though, if it has the American dub, which is a fun dub because of people like Joan Worley and Christopher Lee. Tad, what was your expectation going into Nutcracker Fantasy? And how do you feel once you came out of it? This is this kind of felt like um, like last year when uh, you gave us Life and Times of Santa Claus, and I was like, "Is this a Lost Rankin and Bass film?" And and that some, one was, <laughs> and yeah, and in some ways, this, I mean, I guess tangentially sort of is, uh, or at least a tribute. It seems in that way. Um, I got it. I got most of what I expected, except how batshit it got. And I mean, yeah. it's it was pretty obvious to me where they pulled some of their inspiration, but. Um, um yellow submarine i mean really there's some wild stuff in there um there's there's this the hippie the 70s music also right like it's sort of it goes from abba to like john xanadu kind of yeah yeah Yeah, it really plays the gamut Mm -hmm. it's it it is but I, i immediately thought of stuff like that at the time i was like um, why didn't they have Abba do some of the soundtrack for this for the American dub? Because yeah. that would have been amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but Nate, if you want to circle around and um, I'm going to make fun of them a little bit because the weird relationship there where I was like, is this girl like eight years old or something like that? But the And I'm like, the only way that this could be okay in traditional anime fashion is if Clara's actually a 4,000-year-old alien princess that has been in stasis for a while, then it's totally okay, because, you know, that's that's the, that's what happens anytime they pull this shit. 
Um, <laughs> but also, um, there was a uh, there was a few times where um, I was actually genuinely surprised when the script was flipped, uh, and times when I wasn't. For instance, when I went, "Oh, the princess is totally a fucking hooker, bitch." Sorry, I can't stop saying the word fuck. I'm trying real hard and I'm failing miserably. But Merry <laughs> Christmas, everyone. Ah, that's right. But um, that and I also love the the part where um, she gets the sword, and then uh, it's like oh, I'm gonna hand it off, and and uh, this is gonna crack a nut. And then what actually happens is you could have used the sword to kill the bitch the entire time. And then that would have solved the problem because then you could crack the nut later. But nobody, I mean, I get it. You you don't want to outright in a what's sort of, I guess, supposed to, is this supposed to be a children's film, Nathan? Do you think this was supposed to be a children's film? I do think it's supposed to be a children's film. I think it's supposed to be a family film. Um, but I think when you're looking at stop motion animation at the time, especially, and, and with uh, director Takeo Nakamura having worked on Rankin and Bass, I think you kind of can't escape the idea of a stop motion puppet film as being uh, as being a children's film. That said, I do think like with Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, it was in t there were there were adult jokes in it. Yeah. Um, you know, like no kid is laughing really because he wants to be a dentist. You know what I mean? Like the, the adults are laughing because he's like, they see the futility in some ways and like, wow, I wanted to be something too. And um, I appreciate Mito like that because we grew up on stuff like right. that where there's layers. Like as a kid, you appreciate mm -hmm. it and then you get to when you be an adult and you go, oh, I get the jokes all of a sudden. But like Shrek, you know, the Shrek yeah. series is, is, is a key of that. You know, kids absolutely love it, but they really get only certain levels uh, whereas an adult, it's it's less about, you know, watching Eddie Murphy as a donkey being swung around and more about, you know, the discussion of uh, the the exhibition of interpersonal relationships and fear. Yeah, about I, I thought you were going to say it was less about the fart jokes. And then I was going to disagree with did. you. It's still about the fart <laughs> jokes. This is this is just throwing something for some out of there us. Uh, for, for the future. It has nothing to do with this conversation, but I have a double feature lineup uh, planned for January to record in January uh, specifically based on uh, Mandy and Jeff's love of uh, fart humor. So I... there, that, that's my that's my late Christmas gift to you guys. Um, <laughs> yeah. Just no, as I... a side note for this conversation, uh, my nephew uh, kept saying Horton hears a poo, and we had a <laughs> absolute blast with that uh, over the last few days. And it's not like he just says it like that's how he says the movie. He will correct you and then argue with you <laughs> that is the name of the movie. Out of nowhere, I did not teach him that that was the name of the movie. He has just decided that that is, that is what it is. And he will correct you and argue with you if you say different. Those of us watching as well, please note that I'm not sure what Jeff was waving at the camera a second ago, but it appeared to be a suppository. So I, I, you know, it all comes full circle here in Colton <laughs> Classic Podcast. Oh, uh, it's a bottle of Debrox, probably. Oh, that would be it. Yeah, not don't yeah, use yeah, it yeah. as a suppository. Okay. Uh, all right. So yes, um, I I want to touch on. I mentioned the cast for the American dub. You, wait a minute. You you can't tell me what to. <laughs> <laughs> what not to shove up my ass <laughs> all right all right we're president. not we're not at that level of friendship mate all right president trump i think we are i think we are um let's uh 
let's talk about this. So uh, the cast, um, I mentioned, of course, Christopher Lee, um, Joanne Worley. Uh, and I want to also mention um, that there's, I mean, the cast is really incredible. That Melissa Gilbert, Michelle Lee, Lorene Tuttle, um, but then you have Dick Van Patten also, Roddy McDowell, Jack Angel, Ava Gabor plays the Queen of Time. And the Queen of Time, I really appreciated because um, she's the other character aside from the, the toy commander who looks pretty anime uh, in, in the sort of Princess Esmeralda um, uh, vibe. And it's interesting because she's actually a person wearing like a half mask. That's what um, I was wondering. I'm like, yes. all of a sudden I was like, this doesn't seem like a puppet. I think that's an actual human with a weird mask on. It, it is to look like she's made of wood. And they did a cool effect for most of the time when you see her hands where they're super blurred out and there's lots of um, light play. And so I didn't realize that it wasn't a puppet for a while. And, and the fact that they did something strange with the face, you know, a half mask, um, and they usually hide the lower half of her face as well. Uh, made it really sort of funky and ethereal. And I really like that when they mix um, different concept, different types of, of production, you know, puppets, half puppets, different kinds of puppets, real life actors and costume. It just makes for really unique visuals. And this film certainly has some unique visuals. I'm going to pick on it a little bit um, in that I don't think, and this is, this is also coming from the Rankin and Bass Western vibe where the stories are much more concrete you know uh, it's it's more easy to follow you know that they're, they're never floating through air they're you know all these things don't happen um in this it's it's almost like there are times when magical realism seeps into something into the scene in a way that's a little confusing to us uh for us western viewers and at the same time it's even weirder because it's magical realism invading something that already has a level of surrealness to it it's not even you're just going it's it's more like going up another surreal level right um like we mentioned mandy said she had a hard time following it uh or paying attention once clara gets stabbed by the the mouse prince and all of a sudden she's with her love and there's all these creatures singing it's happy land and it literally they like it's happy land or whatever uh and then they're like this is your happiness palace which you will live in for all it's yours for all time or whatever and you're just like this is this is weird <laughs> and i'm talking about that in a, in a movie that's a story of a girl going into a clock to fight a mouse army with an army of wind-up toys like and this is weird and when you, when you look at that, it's just, and Tad suggested this too, it's a batshit moment. Like you go so far beyond what we would have risked uh, in, in an American production of this, I would think. And, uh, and I, I do think as, as someone who consumes a great deal of Japanese uh, films, I do think that is something that can be said for Japanese cinema and, and, uh, not even just cinema. I mean, it spreads all the way back to, um, you know, no plays and and stuff. But these 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 things that it's more about the vibe and the intent uh, than the actual content, uh, the narrative content. And you know, I can only assume that, say, with the Happy Land, balancing that with her waking up with a fever broken and meeting what we assume is her love uh, in the real world, it sort of mirrors that dream sequence. It's it's about how it plays between reality and fantasy but it doesn't tell you this 
right? Like it's just, I don't know how kids would react. I think as a kid, we often wouldn't care, right? And I don't know if that's because we, we actually don't care and we're not paying attention to it at that level, or we just, I'm like, oh, I get it. Like, it's just a natural connection to us because we don't look for the level of um, sense. We don't, we don't try and make the, the same kind of sense we do as an adult, you know, uh, zero, one, one, zero, that sort of, you know, cause and effect. I don't know. Uh, that would be something for, for someone who's, who's more versed in uh, child development, I suppose. But it's not that, that happy land is not the only moment when that happens, right? When Clara first climbs into the clock, there's some, some really cool scenes where like she's traveling through the giant gears of the clock. And then near the end when she, uh, at one point she's falling and the gears are flying past her. And it's interesting because it looks almost like early 3D, but it's not. I mean, this is 1979. Those are physical pieces that are being somehow manipulated. It's quite a good effect. Uh, the copy of the film we had has great audio uh, for the most part, probably the best audio of the English dub that exists, not saying it couldn't be better, um, but the visual quality is just okay. And it's a shame because there are lots of details in this movie um, and a lot of color uh, because I think if you look at the posters of this, there's two posters I could find for the uh, uh U.S. releases. One of them is an original release, and it's weird that the poster is much more akin to like the Care Bear poster. In fact, it's very similar. It's a light blue background. They're on clouds, and there's a rainbow behind it, and it's with like a Cabbage Patch Kids font. It's really close, and I, I can only imagine that they pull from a similar, a similar design back. Like there's some connection because they're just so similar. <clears throat> um, even though I believe this was first, yeah. And then Nutcracker Fantasy, the other one is the contemporary release, which shows sort of the dark alley of the European town. And I don't think either one represents the film appropriately because there's a great deal of psychedelic color in this. Um, the, the Toyland Kingdom is like the, the palace is bright colors. Uh, mentioned before the yellow submarine, like splashes of colors everywhere, really closer to um, the Emerald City of Oz design than sort of a uh, any European town setting. So I think it's interesting that that's what they went to portray this as. And I can only assume it's to match it more clearly with Christmas because we don't see things that are psychedelic as Christmassy. Um, like I said, I don't... <laughs> I don't know if this, this is a Christmas movie. This is a uh, movie from the 70s. There should have been a lot more lens flare in the There's in the There's some, you know, there's some, especially, I mean, in those psychedelic scenes and, and, and we mentioned the music, there are musical interludes. There, it's not a musical though. The characters do not sing, um, except for Christopher Lee as the Lee, uncle. Yeah, when he, he comes did. in the first time, this is when he popped in, I was like, there is nothing in the film that's going to be creepier than the uncle because it's Christopher <laughs> Lee number one and he has a fantastic voice but we do not at least I do not equate his voice with kind elderly gentlemen I equate his voice with Dracula um Inquisitor Generals you know like really uh, Count Dooku like really ominous figures of power and in this he's the kind he's he's genie in aladdin right he's the one that sort of leads her through whether she knows it or not at one point he appears to be dressed as a beggar playing a guitar uh we kind of assume it's him leading her through the the fantasy realm to where she needs to go 
Uh, but let's talk about his design. One, he has like these hardcore like 301 drag lashes on um, and, and an eye patch over his left eye, uh, a big sort of punch and Judy chin and nose and this wild hair. And when he comes in, I, this is going to be lost on some of our listeners, but anyone who's familiar with the John Mulaney bit about his old employer who uh, walks in out of the rain and is like, um, uh, too old to be a duckling, quack, quack. And, like, and that's just what he says. That's this guy. He just comes in and he's like, tick tock, tick tock. And he says a bunch of gibberish. Uh, it's like any cameo. And this is, these are, I could go deep diving into movies that no one's going to remember right now. But there's a lot of madness in this moment um, because Clara's aunt, who's there, is normal seeming and this guy is a looney tune he walks in he doesn't answer his wife's questions at all which i guess is potentially realistic depending on the relationship um but he just talks in madness uh for most of when he's on screen and then he also is in the final shot of the film where clara and afrans i believe is, his, is what they name him in this version um her her lover are leaning in he gets her flowers um she probably needs to brush her teeth I, these these scenes like this in movies always kill me because she's been asleep for like 13 hours and he's like hello beautiful and you're like Neh. uh she's she's not going to be happy with that but they looming in you think that they might actually kiss i'm it's easier that they didn't because they're puppets and the limited mobility but they're leaning in but in the background we just have this soft focus of the looming uncle it's just weird I don't like he orchestrated it or is he looming? I, I just, I don't understand his presence uh, in some of this movie. He also bears a very strong resemblance to the Ragman. Wait, like, thank you. Cause I, I was definitely going to point that out. And, and we don't know, like he's sort of ominous because he's the one we see, he fixes clocks, but he's the one we see climbing into the grandfather clock and leading her deeper into this crazy realm just where she eventually by the way is stabbed and that's the culmination uh, to show her it's just really weird and i don't really understand i almost expected because we also didn't mention there's a narrator here and it's uh, and we assume it's adult clara but really i almost feel like it should have been the uncle narrating this because then we could see on the outside and he could give us some indication of why he's there and what his the whole deal is um it's also weird because we don't know what happened to clara's parents anytime they do that you just you assume they died but i don't know in this context because they changed some other things i don't know why that's necessary um i guess my guess would be because i've been thinking about this as i'm a podcaster and a professional um my assumption is is that if it were her parents she would know her uncle very well she wouldn't just love him she would know him uh, even if he did things she didn't know about, she would know his character. But as he's her uncle, and I think she's visiting, I, it's hard to tell if this, she actually lives with them or not, really, because she's been gone. It's just, it's unnecessary. But she, if she, if he's her uncle, and he's kind of famous, and he always has fun, and she, he makes her toys and stuff, she'll love him and, and be excited to see him, but she doesn't necessarily know him inside and out. So this mysterious nature of him climbing in the clock and leading her to this dangerous place is a little more interesting and believable. So that's my assumption on that. But again, the framing story is a little flimsy. It's not really 
I don't know. You, you didn't need some of it. You didn't need her to wake up again with a fever and, and then go looking for the thing. She could have followed the mice right in through the clock the first time she tries to rescue, you know, um, her nutcracker which by the way this film this version of the nutcracker has the least nutcrackering in it of any nutcracker film ever which i'm kind of okay with because i don't really understand the allure of nutcrackers themselves they're ominous they have those giant bottom teeth um in all the designs i don't really get it i don't want uh an elderly gentleman with a mustache to you know mouth feed me nuts it's a weird weird i, I think it comes from does it come from Germany or Russo, Finland? I don't know, somewhere. I think that comes from a place of trauma, Nathan. <laughs> Perhaps. Uh, yeah, but but anyway, there's only one Nutcracker. It is uh, the little one that, you know, is why she goes into the fantasy place and then it's the commander gets turned into it, uh, which is a confusing moment. Uh, and also because he's a Nutcracker when she follows him in, and then he's not a nutcracker, and then he becomes a nutcracker. It does, you can't think it through because it doesn't work. Uh, but yeah, I, I just, he's the only nutcracker, and you only see him in the beginning and a little bit at the end, or you know, in the latter half of the film. And I actually am 100% okay with that. As I said, I'm not a huge nutcracker fan, uh, and I'm sure there's some bomb nutcrackers people have made, but it's just not my thing, which is weird because I love puppets, but I, I don't get it. Um, Interesting though, that there's almost no Nutcracker. So if you want to, if you think, oh, this film sounds interesting, but I don't like Nutcrackers, you cannot get a film with Nutcracker in the title that has less Nutcracker. This is, this is almost, uh, they could almost call it fantasy, uh, minuscule Nutcracker. Uh, As someone who's not a fan of walnuts, I'm also not a fan of Nutcrackers. They don't sound just walnuts, right? Sure, but I mean, walnuts first. I also don't know that I've ever seen a working nutcracker that actually nobody actually uses them to crack nuts, Nate. Well, that's that's the problem. That is the problem. <laughs> um, anywho, so uh, really, I really steamrolled through this conversation on nutcracker fantasy, but let's move into recommendations on this film. So I will start. I actually really liked this film. Um, I would love to see a better transfer made, more available uh, again stateside with. Uh, a more a better remastered uh, English dub because this is one of those few times when the English dub like I think is really special because of the cast that they assembled is, is wonderful there are moments that are a little slow it's a weird weird movie um, but I think kids can watch it it's not as scary as some of the other Nutcracker films because the mice are cute uh, for the most part um, there's there's weird moments for sure um, you kind of have a hard time getting around how creepy and evil the prince mouse or rat is in any version of nutcracker um and that's still here but you know i don't think your kids are gonna have nightmares over this one whereas some of the other ones they certainly could uh but yeah if you like rankin and bass and you kind of liked the serious level or if you like labyrinth you know the jim henson production films which are are truly incredible dark crystal this is really kind of one you, you know, return to Oz. You have to watch this one, I would say, because it really falls in line with those. And visually, you're getting that um, unique design uh, that Rankin and Bass sort of popularized, but with a distinctly Japanese um, underpinning that, that pokes through in places. And I found that nice and fascinating. It's not super long, but at the same time, 
uh, I do agree with Jeff. There are moments where someone who's not as interested in the design could be a little bored. It's an hour and 22 minutes. There's probably about 10, 15 minutes in there that is just kind of looking at something that is more interesting to the designer than it is to us. But again, I give this a hearty recommendation. I think if you like classic holiday movies, uh, this is, give it a shot. It might be a new favorite for you. Mandy, would you recommend Nutcracker Fantasy 1979 by Sanrio? Uh, and if so, why? Meh. Not fart jokes. It's true. There is zero <laughs> fart jokes. Oh, I will say, though, there is one very uncomfortable, problematic uh, assistant to the king um, who is the most... You know how so many movies, um, even today still, tend to have the very, like, foppish feminine uh male s like i don't know what you call him like uh you almost said male, male escort well because he's an escort he's not he's not a prostitute <laughs> or like an escort in that sense but he's a valet right uh, yeah. he assists the king and he has he he literally chews up things while he's talking at one point he's like eating his handkerchief with with grief and frustration he wails at the wall most of his lines are straight up sounds like he is the most ridiculously offensive like gay sidekick character um and he was also the only explanation i needed as to why there wasn't a queen of toyland um because he was <laughs> by far the queeniest queen of toyland um, and I, I can only assume that that was the relationship between him and the king because, I mean, he just wails. There's moments where you just see his face and they make this puppet look utterly, uh, or automata, if you want to refer to that, because they're not being manipulated by hand in live action um, for my puppet uh, sticklers out there. But yeah, it's wild. Uh, I, I think he's his character, when he shows up, it, it's just... It's a lot. Um, I mean, if it, let's just put it this way. If they were to make this into a live action American film, James Corden would be like, I could play that uh, right away. So anyway, yes, I understand. Meh, I can see that. Yeah, sure. I just, yeah. like, I mean, if you listen to all of this and it sounds interesting to you, like definitely go for it. Um, it speaks to a certain period in uh, American, or well, not American movie making, but movie making in general with American slants on all of the, different characters that are presented um and it's just weird as hell so enjoy if that's your thing certainly is weird as hell i will always think of that uh let's go to jeff jeff would you recommend nutcracker fantasy and if so why and to who so my absolute favorite part of this film is when she wakes up at the end and the aunt is like oh gosh you you, you had a nightmare and and I'm just like, yeah, you put her to bed, like basically traumatizing her with this idea of the ragman coming to like turn her into a mouse. Of course she had a nightmare. But th this, and, and, and actually I remember, I love it so much because I remember as a kid, like, uh, you know, they would used to come to like, um, like, a, like gym assemblies and like tell you about like fire safety or something. And like, yeah, kids are idiots, and the only way they're going to care about something is if you make them really scared. So, you know, that's kind of their 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 strategy is they scare the crap out of you so that you take it seriously. But it was effective, and I remember not being able to sleep for weeks after because <laughs> I thought my house was going to burn down in the middle of the night. 
So like I remember like, having years of the same reoccurring nightmare of our house burning down. Yeah, like so it was effective. They, I mean, at least at Epsom, school. the Epsom like fire department <laughs> that came to our school really brought the the trauma. They they really like they they really wanted to drive home the fire. Anyways, the point is that yes, she had a nightmare, and the reason I did I don't think I could get into this film is because it it felt so because it was so crazy and zany and like surreal right off the bat. It, it there it had no grounding in reality so it felt like a dream which it was kind of right uh that it, it, the stakes are so low like i have the same problem with resurrection and like all these other kinds of things in film like if you take away all the stakes i'm not gonna give a crap anymore this <laughs> like, coming from a guy who loves dragon ball z by the way oh um, why why every time i make a comment <laughs> you always bring that up <laughs> I'm not even. Uh, I'm just messing with you. I totally, I totally understand. Um, I, I actually think that, I think you're right. I think the fact that this one hits pretty heavily and pretty early that this is like a fever dream. Yeah. Um, and and even when she wakes up after having had um, the nutcracker taken from her by the mice and she has a scratch on her arm and she's bleeding and she's like wait did it really happen which causes her to go back down and get lost we still assume that's part of a dream so it sort of loses its impact because uh, I would have loved I, I like more of the ambiguity and was it real or was it not real and this one not like would have been great if um if she leaned forward it, you know if at the end like her her love leans in and it's like i've missed you princess you know he says uh, he, he says she looked like a princess so it's a parallel but instead of making it a parallel I actually make it like wait what is this real is he taking her to happiness land what's going on um yeah i feel like if they just tried to like I, I i don't even know how they rearrange it but just make it so that like because when you like watch alice in wonderland or whatever like it's it it somehow stays grounded even though like that's basically a fever dream and it it somehow the way that they weave the narrative it's like uh you get there um and this they just they i felt like it was too like storytelling mm -hmm. um from the get-go like they were telling the story of the ragman and then you know she went to sleep and it's just like oh now you're gonna start the story okay yeah she's sleeping she's having a, a a dream about all of this like if they had maybe i don't know reorganized how they told the story it may have allowed for at least me and my kind of the way i watch to like get into the film and, and enjoy it um because there were like there were some funny moments and some fun like i always love stop animation just in general like i love mm -hmm. same because it's always like visually interesting like there's always like even if the dialogue's a little boring and the 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 stuff just the way things move is so strange that you it, you can hold your focus you know yes um, yeah so anyways at the end i wouldn't i would recommend this it's 40 years old there's lots of good animation go go yeah. find something else jeff if it helps I think from a grounding perspective, one of the issues, the difference between Clara and Alice is Alice and when, when you're in Alice in Wonderland, Alice is kind of incredulous at every situation she's in where she's kind of like, what the hell is going on? What are you For doing? Sure. But Clara just kind of falls into this state where she's just like, I'm going to go with it, whatever. Okay, cool. So you lose that grounding because the main character is just like 
already like, all right, just whatever. This stuff's happening. I'm not even going to question it. Well, I yeah, like that's a big difference. I think that helps. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. She also is really she Clara is her whole thing is to help people, right? Like that's all she does, right? Oh, this is a problem. How do I help? Not um, oh, by the way, I have my own task <laughs> that I need to accomplish. Um, and they didn't maybe they didn't hammer that enough because then she could be that could give her an identity. And like you said, she doesn't necessarily have much of an identity. The most identity she has comes out when she sees how the princess rejects uh, Franz as the, or, or Fritz, depending on which, which version you're looking at, um, as the nutcracker. Like that's when she gets the most personality. And it's still not that much, right? Um, yeah, I, I, I totally understand that. And uh, I think I'm gonna bring it around. Uh, actually, first, I just wanna say that uh, Shintaro Suji is, uh, was the writer for this. Um, and, and he's written some other fun things. Uh, he's produced a lot as well uh, for Sanrio, including uh, the, the, the video movie, Caro uh, Caro Karopi, you know, Karopi being the famous Sanrio frog character and inventor. Um, but he also wrote 2007's Mouse Story, The Adventures of George and Gerald, which of course in Japan has a different title but the animation that's really beautiful it's that interesting little film if anyone wants to hunt that down uh following up with our final guest recommendation tad would you recommend nutcracker fantasy 1979 and if so to who and why i absolutely would i would recommend this as a family film despite the weirdness um after all what how many movies do you know of where uh you can see basically an eight-year-old girl get prison shanked by a giant rat that's that's totally true that is totally true although Um, one of the things that when i one of the movies that came to mind when i was watching this which is one of my favorites which i never expected myself but i i have become an evangelist for this movie uh is uh unico and the island of magic also known as unico 2 which I think we should definitely do down the line because it's a fantastic movie with great pacing, great characters, great story, and a bunch of also equally batshit weird things that you just are like, no, this is cool. Go with it. Um, it, it. It was a similar vibe, also a Japanese film, anime, in the style of Interstellar 555. I'm pretty sure it's the same animators. At Unico, in fact, Unico is actually uh, produced by... Uh, by the director and writer so bam nailed it you, you so found, you found the connection oh cool. I always, we're doing I always, interstellar 555 next uh, episode i'm fine with that uh we we <laughs> certainly that's actually on my list of things to to do as well we're lucky enough to have a copy um but uh you know maybe I maybe want, just kidding just kidding i just i, I harass nate about this everyone if we long. if we have anyone who listens to this podcast uh that does I would love to commission a poster of that scene in the UN for Toyland, just in an ex- in an exaggerated style with the that that Sultan just bouncing around like, and just just a nice still frame with that incredulous look on uh, what you 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 call her Mrs. Claus because we don't know what that character is. Yeah. just sitting there in the middle of it while all this batshit sh- stuff is going around. I would love just a poster of that because I felt like just if you just take a still of that insanity, that would be an amazing poster. It was pretty incredible. I was surprised at how far that scene went with the the mania that it breaks out into. Like every for a stop motion film, it's, it's got to be tough. Every character at certain some point in time is flashing across the screen. It went so uh, long. It, it just did was so much of the movie. Yeah, it was pretty wild. It was pretty wild. 
and I will say that was the only scene as well where maybe the English dub failed a little bit. I didn't always know when a new character had started talking. It seemed a couple of times like a, a character had maybe uh, just started speaking in a different manner, and then I realized that it was another character. That's another thing to mention. If you find, uh, I urge people to purchase this film if they can. However, uh, it is tough to find, as I said, in this form. And I wonder what the dubbing process was like for the English version, because it almost felt like they had to do a lot of folly work again and some was left out uh, because there were moments where something happens on screen and I f it felt eerily silent as though there should have been a sound accompanying it. Um, and so it, it would be worth revisiting uh, the, the subtitled version, which uh, I actually found harder to find, <laughs> actually. So, but anyway, that, that's something to consider as well. Uh, so it sounds like we have two four and two mez. I completely understand that is a divisive film, but uh, my podcast, my recommendation is yes. So, huh. all right. Thank you guys so much for joining us for this holiday film feast. Uh, welcome to the brand new year this week. Come on. 2020 what is it 2023 i don't even know it. no 2022 see it's gonna be worse than 2021 shut your filthy mouth uh i it kind of sounds like the sequel of 2020 2022 oh that's <laughs> awful you guys are ruining my new year and it's not even happened yet uh, no, thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please rate us and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Like and subscribe on YouTube. We are uh, slowly but surely getting all of our episodes uploaded there so you can watch our smiling faces, uh, both of us and our guests. And please, please, please send us recommendations, reviews, hate mail, anything you want to Colton Classic Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, take Tad down a peg or two. He's got a real swelled head these days. So, uh, you know, give him your what for. And to play us out as always is the Chud with All About Evil. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Colton Classic Podcast. This podcast is important to me, but what's more important are the rights, privileges, and freedom from violence of everyone in this country and in this world. And that means supporting Black Lives Matter. If you'd like to make a donation, please go ahead and visit coltonclassicpodcast.com where we have a list of places you can donate and help out. And please stay safe.